Well, tonight we are concluding our study of our Lord's Beatitudes found in Matthew 5. And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn there. Uh, the words of this text are also printed in our worship folders tonight. We're going to be focusing on just two verses this evening, uh, verses 11 and 12, or rather uh, 10 through 12, Matthew 5. This is God's holy word. Let's listen attentively to it. Our Lord Jesus uh, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, we've come now to uh, the final beatitude in our series, and by now, uh, probably most of you uh, could probably give the introduction to this sermon, uh, because uh, each sermon I've begun with just a, a brief explanation of the importance of the beatitudes of our Lord Jesus as a whole. Uh, what we've seen together is that right here at the beginning of Matthew 5, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets forth for us a set of kingdom characteristics that should define and describe us as followers of Jesus Christ. We've seen that these characteristics are not for some Christians some of the time. They are for all Christians all of the time. They are, uh, in, in one aspect, uh, attitudes, uh, mindsets that are ours in Christ Jesus as those who belong to him by faith. This is who we are as new creations in Jesus Christ. But they are also characteristics that we are called to display and to pursue actively in our lives. We've also seen that the Beatitudes sharply contrast the values and the mindsets of our wicked society. Well, tonight as we turn to the eighth and the final Beatitude, we see that it's the most radical sounding uh, the most difficult, perhaps, of all of the Beatitudes. For our Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now certainly it's not hard for us to see how this Beatitude conflicts with the heart and the attitude of our wicked society. Uh, because uh, this isn't a safe Beatitude at all. Our world avoids suffering and conflict and, and difficulty at all costs. Very few people in our society would be willing to suffer for taking a moral stand. But this is a hard saying, even for us as Christians, is it? We might wonder this, this evening, why does Jesus say this? Why does he say that persecution is the mark of a Christian Disciple, What's so good, what's so meaningful and blessed about persecution that we should admire it, that we should seek it, that, that we should pursue it in our life? Well, tonight we're going to look at that question, try to answer that question, not only looking at our Lord Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, but also looking at the entirety of the Old Testament. We're going to see together that persecution for righteousness prepares us for the joy of eternal fellowship with God 
by proving the genuineness of our faith. Persecution for righteousness prepares us for the joy of eternal fellowship with God by proving the genuineness of our faith. The first thing we need to notice together, brothers and sisters, tonight is that persecution for righteousness is inevitable. Persecution is inevitable for us as believers. And that may be difficult for us to accept or imagine, perhaps especially as American Christians. As Americans, we enjoy, as you know, a whole host of liberties and freedoms that allow us to, to worship freely together, even in public. And so we're tempted to think that persecution isn't inevitable, that maybe it's just for some people some of the time. But of course, in our study of the Beatitudes, we've seen that that isn't the case. All of these kingdom characteristics are for all believers all of the time. Well, first, that we need to see, before we look more closely at the inevitability of persecution, we need to notice, first of all, what our Lord Jesus says here. And he notice, we, we notice that he says that all, not all persecution is blessed. Not all types of persecution is blessed. Jesus says specifically that it's, it's valuable in his eyes when we suffer for the sake of righteousness. For the sake of righteousness. If, if we are a public nuisance, if we force ourselves upon others, our neighbors, for example, if we are invading people's private property uh, and their privacy in the name of Jesus, and it earns us a punch in the nose. That's not persecution or suffering for righteousness' sake. That's not righteous persecution. If we uh, think that we can foster disunity and anarchy in our society just in order to get our way as Christians, that's not persecution for righteousness' sake. It's foolishness. It's not a loving witness. And that's the point that the Apostle Peter makes in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, to suffer as an evildoer, to suffer as a lawbreaker, is not persecution. He says there in, in chapter 4, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer. It shouldn't be as a thief. It shouldn't be as any other kind of criminal. It shouldn't even be as a meddler. If we're suffering uh, physical uh, pain because we are sticking our nose in places it shouldn't go, it doesn't count as righteous persecution. If we are to suffer, Peter says, it must be as a Christian for the sake of righteousness. And that's our Lord's teaching here in, in Matthew chapter 5 as well. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you, verse 11, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. On my account. So we are blessed when we suffer and are persecuted for Jesus, not for being a lawbreaker. Going back to the initial point here, the inevitability of persecution, God promises that everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer, will be persecuted. Listen as I read just a few passages from the New Testament that, that describe the inevitability, the certainty of Christian suffering. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, 29 said this, For it has been granted to you, the church, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. 
It has been granted to you, Christians, for the sake of Christ, to suffer for him. Later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, In fact, everyone, not just some, but everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise. And then again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul sends Timothy to encourage the suffering saints. And he says this, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. Believers, we are destined in the plan of God for suffering, for persecution, for the sake of Christ. And as I said earlier, this idea that suffering persecution is inevitable for us certainly challenges misperceptions even within the church. There is this prevailing idea that, that not all Christians will suffer. I remember back when I was a seminarian, I was filling a pulpit somewhere, and I happened to preach on 1 Peter chapter 4 on the topic of Christian suffering. And after the service was complete, I went to the back of the sanctuary, of course, to shake people's hands as they walked past, and an elderly gentleman came up to me and he paused, and he said, uh, young man, are you qualified to preach a sermon on suffering? And uh, I don't remember how I responded. But the idea, I think, that he had in mind was this. That somebody so young, somebody so inexperienced, couldn't possibly know what it was to be persecuted for righteousness or to suffer at the hands of ungodly people. That was reserved, that kind of suffering and persecution was reserved for somebody more mature in life, later in life. But the reality is that persecution is for all devout believers of all ages. So I want to just address the young people of the congregation tonight in particular. You know, Jesus tells you that the world hated him because he was righteous. Because in his speaking, in his living, he exposed wickedness. And so I ask you tonight, is there anything in your life, anything in your conduct, that reveals the righteousness of Christ? If the answer is yes, then you will be persecuted. Then you will suffer for the name of Jesus. Do you refuse to use filthy language when your friends think it's funny, humorous, and enjoyable? Do you resist the party lifestyle that is so, so popular today? Do you refuse to engage in worldly behavior? Do you love the church? Do you make the life of the church central to your life? If you do, it is highly likely that you will suffer, you will be persecuted, you will be maligned, mistreated for the sake of Christ. Another misconception that we maybe suffer from as Christians is the idea that suffering or persecution for Christ is for Christians in some parts of the world, but not our part. You know, we, we, we read about Christians suffering in China and in Pakistan, in the Middle East, and other parts of Africa, for example. But we think, well, that's not likely to happen here. 
We're Western Christians, after all. It's, uh, it's a blessing that we enjoy, and so it's not likely that we're going to suffer. Well, certainly there are degrees of suffering. We may not, Lord willing, have um, a policeman knock on our door and drag us out because we profess Christ. We may not have the doors to our church uh, barred from entering. But we must understand that, that suffering and, and persecution for Christ is broader than just that. Wherever you might encounter opposition on account of sin in this world, wherever you encounter opposition because of your stance for righteousness and for Christ, that's persecution for righteousness. And so have you suffered injustice and bore it patiently? Have you ever been forced to jeopardize your job security by exposing unethical practices at work, perhaps? Have you ever spoken the truth in love, only to be ridiculed and mocked by family members or friends? You lost relationships with loved ones because you stand with Christ and His truth. That is persecution. That is suffering for righteousness sake and so we see persecution is inevitable for all of jesus disciples but you might ask what's the point what's the point what does it what's it do for us why does jesus call it good and blessed for us to be persecuted for righteousness sake you see secondly that there are uh, blessings of persecution i want to expose you to just three tonight blessings of persecution. First of all, persecution is a blessing because it reveals the true quality of our faith. Persecution is a blessing because it reveals the true quality of our faith. It's through the, the fires of persecution in particular that we learn the true worth of our faith as believers. Persecution is the, the crucible, you might say, in which our faith is, is put to the test and demonstrated to be true and genuine for the glory of God. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 speaks in this way. In verses 6 and 7 he says this. He says, In your living hope you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes than is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's words are very clear. True faith, genuine faith, withstands the hot fires of suffering and persecution. But imitation faith, faith that is a merely an outward show, but not a, a genuine heartfelt faith, and trust in the Lord, that will quickly flee, it will quickly burn up in the fires of persecution. And so the gift, the blessing of persecution allows us and others around us to see that the faith that we profess with our lips is really the faith of our hearts, a true, a valuable, a lasting faith. Well, secondly, persecution is a blessing because it reveals the true motives of our hearts it reveals the true motives of our hearts why is it as peter says that persecution or suffering serves as the litmus test of the reality of our faith it's 
because persecution reveals our heart motives. It exposes why we act the way we do, why we commit to the Lord the way we do amidst the, the ups and the downs, the thick and the thin of our lives. You see, when life is easy, when there's no opposition in front of us, we may easily be accused by those around us of being fair-weather friends of God. They might say, well, sure, you serve God now, but look how he blesses you. Look at your wealth. Look at your comfort. Look at the health that you enjoy. Look at your beautiful family. Sure, you serve the Lord, but look how he blesses you. I bet if trials came into your life, if you faced ridicule for being a Christian, if you had a gun put to your head, then I bet you would quickly drop your profession. Wasn't that Satan's accusation before uh, God's throne in Job chapter 1? We read in verses 8 through 11, Job 1, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on all the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch him, afflict him and all he has, and he will curse you to your face. Now we know the rest of the account. That was the response of Job's wife. She did just that. Curse God, Job, and die. Let's be done with this suffering. But Job, a righteous man, a steadfast man, remained true to his profession. You see, persecution inevitably uncovers the true motives that we have for serving God with our whole hearts. Many, most of you have professed your faith publicly here before our congregation. And I, I ask you, why did you do that? Did you do that because you thought that this is what your parents expected of you? Was it because you hoped to gain a whole host of blessings from God? Or maybe you liked the perks of belonging to a Christian community? Or did you profess your faith because you were motivated by gratitude for what Christ has done for you? Do you, are you willing to stand firm in your profession under fire because you desire most of all to serve God and, and, and to seek His kingdom above all else? You see, that's the true motive that persecution uncovers. And so it's a, it's a blessing to us. It's a blessing to those around us as well. Well, finally... Why is persecution a blessing? It's a, it's a blessing because it's a measure of our faithfulness. It's a measure of our faithfulness. In verse 12 of chapter 5, you notice what our Lord Jesus says. He says, Blessed are those uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He goes on and says the last part of verse 12, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For so they persecuted the prophets. Have you ever noticed that in the Old Testament, the prophets were persecuted for what they said, for what they prophesied? And the wicked kings of Judah and Israel 
usually called for the bad prophets. They liked the words and the, the recommendations of the bad prophets more than that of the godly prophets. I think of 1 Kings 22 where King Ahab uh, puts the Lord's prophet Micaiah in prison. Why? Because he spoke the truth of God to the king. I, I love King Ahab's complaint. He never prophesies anything good about me. Only bad. Well, Ahab was a bad king, so there you go. But Ahab would rather summon a false prophet to tell him what he wanted to hear. The righteous prophets of God, the true prophets, let's put them in prison, let's silence them. But Lord Jesus, the true prophet of Israel, had the same experience. In fact, he said the same thing about his own ministry. He talked about the fact that, that he wasn't even accepted in his own hometown. His message was rejected by the people. And then, preparing his disciples to go into the world, preach his message, he said this to them in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, that I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Brothers and sisters, we are prophets. We are prophets. We have been ordained as prophets, spokespersons of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can expect the same response to our faithful confession if it is measured by the word and the example of Jesus Christ. You see, the, to the extent to which our lives and our words match the standard set by Jesus in his word, to that same extent, we can expect to be persecuted. What that means is that if we try to live up to Jesus' Beatitudes, we, we shouldn't expect everyone, if anyone, to stand up and applaud and cheer us. If we are purer than everyone else at work, and we don't join in the dirty jokes and the mockery of God and His church, people will make fun of us. If we are meeker than those around us, and we, we don't insist on our own rights, but we look instead to the rights of others, people will try to take advantage of us. When we mourn over sin, when we mourn over the wickedness that is so prevalent in our world, people will tell us to lighten up. They will make fun of us for grieving over righteousness. When we hold fast to the biblical standards for worship that God delights in, people will tell us not to be so old-fashioned. But our faithfulness to God will have been proven for all to see. And in that, there's blessing. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, notice what he says to the saints who are suffering for Christ. He says, now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, he says. Do not be troubled. And so, you see, there's great blessing uh, in, in being those who proclaim the word of Christ as his prophets. But if we are not experiencing persecution of any kind, why not? Why not? Two possibilities that I can think of. Either we are not enough in the world, where our Christian profession would certainly distinguish us from the world, or the world is too much within us, and our lives are simply blended into the tapestry of our godless society. And persecution is a blessing because it reveals the true quality of our faith, first of all. Because it reveals our true heart motives and because it's a measure of our faithfulness under fire. Are you being persecuted for righteousness? Well, at this point, you might say, well, I don't feel very inspired. I don't feel very happy. Uh, but rather troubled by this news, uh, this knowledge that, that persecution for Christ is inevitable, even if I grant that it's beneficial for my sanctification. I'm still not sure I'm happy about this. But you notice what Jesus wants us to be. He says that we are to rejoice over persecution for righteousness. He says in verse 12, rejoice and be glad in suffering for the sake of Christ. In fact, the word here is a very strong word in the Greek, uh, even stronger than simply the translation rejoice. It's a unique word. It means to exalt. To exalt, to be exceedingly glad in being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Well, that's remarkable. Why is persecution for Christ a matter of, uh, of exaltation, a matter of great rejoicing? Well, again, three ways in which we are to rejoice greatly in persecution. First of all, we can take joy, great joy in persecution, because it's evidence that we are in good company. It's evidence that we are in good company, that we are suffering like the prophets and the apostles and the godly saints who have gone before us. Most importantly, we rejoice in our suffering because it means that we are in the company of Jesus Christ himself. That we can suffer uh, by faith in Christ. It means that we have received salvation. That we have received the marvelous privilege of being identified with Christ in his suffering. That's what the Apostle Paul desired in Philippians chapter 3. His desire simply was that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. You see, to be united to Christ, to be a co-sufferer with Him, to be united with Him forever, that's a cause for rejoicing, and that's what suffering for Christ means. I think of Peter and the apostles when they were persecuted by the the Sanhedrin in Acts 5, 41. What do we read? They left the Sanhedrin and were discouraged because they had their, their bodies hurt. They really wanted to you know, get into a bath and really calm down. And no, they rejoiced. They rejoiced because they had counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And they didn't go home and, and cower in fear either. They went on to preach and proclaim. They never stopped 
Acts 5 says. They never stopped proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so to, to suffer for Christ is a joyful thing because it means that we are in good company. We've been united not only to the godly saints who have gone before us, but we've been united to Christ in his sufferings and in the glories that await. Secondly, we can rejoice in our suffering uh, because if we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, we can be certain that we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We can be certain if we are suffering for Christ that the Holy Spirit is working within us, that He has turned us away from our sin and our selfish desires. We can be certain that He is shaping us according to the image of Jesus Christ. We can be sure that the Holy Spirit is using persecution for righteousness' sake as a means to complete His work, just as He promised. Through this, He comforts us. He assures us, empowering us to endure with our faith and profession. But finally, we can rejoice in our persecution for righteousness' sake, for great is our reward in heaven. Great is our reward in heaven. That is the promise that Jesus appends to this uh, beatitude. We know, of course, that the world strives for earthly treasure, earthly reward that doesn't last, that, uh, that uh, tarnishes, falls away. But contrary to the message of many false prophets today, we as Christians do not live our best life now. It is a terrible, unbiblical heresy, the idea that we live our best life now. No, as Christians, we see beyond. We see beyond this present age. We see beyond our circumstances to the great blessing of eternal fellowship with God. We look forward and we long for that great commendation of God on the last day when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy and the peace that I have preserved for you. You see, God's goodness overflows to us uh, as persecuted believers, not only now in this age, but most especially in eternal glory, in that kingdom of heaven that he is preparing and is preserving for us. You notice that the blessing, the first beatitude, they would see the kingdom of heaven. That's also the blessing of the last beatitude, which means that's the ultimate blessing of all of the beatitudes. To see God. To experience the reward of fellowshipping with the saints before the throne of God forever and ever. That's the great reward of the Christian. So I ask you tonight, do you desire, do you want the kingdom of heaven more than anything else in this world? If your answer is yes, I desire Christ. I want His perfect righteousness and His sanctifying grace above anything else that this world could possibly provide. If that's your answer, then by Christ's power, you will endure to the very end. You will receive a faithful servant's eternal reward. And you will reign upon thrones of heaven and white robes forever. I leave you with this call from 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, you have promised us that in this world we will have trouble. That we will be reviled against, ridiculed, hated in this world because we love you. If we serve as prophets in this world, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, living according to your godly commandments, worshiping you according to your word, we will be set apart from this wicked world which wants nothing to do with your righteous commands. And we will suffer. But Lord, we thank you for the wonderful promise that we should not fear. Because you have overcome the world. We should not tremble. Because the victory over sin, Satan, and death, and all of Satan's allies has already been won. And simply has yet to be claimed on that last glorious day. when the kingdom is complete. And the church is ushered in in full. We long for that day, O oh Lord. That great heavenly reward is what propels us forward to follow your commandments, to live a life of godliness and faith and dependence upon you. Strengthen us in this, O oh Lord. May we count it an honor, count it a privilege to suffer for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is our great reward. Thank you, O Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.